This is the Positive Psychology Podcast, episode 92. Welcome to the Positive Psychology Podcast, bringing your earbuds the science of the good life. And now, your host, Kristen Trumpy. Hey, this is Kristen. And today, we're going to talk about this idea that you can be spiritual without being religious. And I know it sounds like a stupid pop cliche, pop star cliche, but I really deeply believe in this. And what triggered it is a series of emails I got from a listener, let's call him M. A listener sent me a series of heartfelt emails, messages about the loss of religion, chronic, physical, and mental pain. And the thing is, what do you believe when you can't believe anymore? How the hell do you deal with all this pain if God is not by your side or never was? Isn't it better to accept despair? In some shape or form, most of us have these questions. So today, we will be talking big questions. While everything I think and say is filtered through the science of psychology, this is not the main focus today. I just want to point this out. Also, I love the topic and have at some point written 50,000 words about it. So no matter what I do, it will not seem complete. It doesn't seem complete now, but I just decided that at some point I just have to hear because I can drag this out for months um, and it, it would just get bigger and bigger and bigger. The question really is how to believe when the things you are offered make no sense. First of all, I'd like to address this idea that there's a growing need, a real gap for people who want a spiritual life, but do not believe in the Bible, the Quran, or other sacred texts, and are not interested in yoga or meditation. Um... They might identify as atheists or agnostics, but do not want to spend their time pointing out why others are wrong. And I really think there's there's not a lot out there for people who feel that way. As far as I can see it, there is a real need for guiding principles that help us navigate life and are a bit more helpful than the generalized media, society, and corporate messages that we're exposed to every single day. We need messages which do not just touch us mentally, but make us feel something. Ways of coping with fear, pain, and inner dark impulses. Uh, A way to discover meaning and purpose. Cultivating growth that goes beyond becoming more productive and conformist. A structure that brings all of these things together. A series of practices we can do regularly to keep keep ourselves spiritually fueled and a community of people who share your values. I'd like to start out with this idea that we have to acknowledge the existing pain. And I think it's vitally important that we look and acknowledge the pain we feel that comes from past encounters with religion. Now, this is specifically for people who either grew up in religious families and then just kind of got out of it, or people who have had many clashes with people who are religious and feel a lot of disdain towards religion. So if we don't acknowledge and accept the fact that we have this pain, um, it might shape us in many ways that are at odds with what we are actually trying to do. So the level of aggression with which 
a lot of science versus religion debates are held indicate that both sides are very, very angry. Religious folks are angry that they feel they are belittled for their beliefs. Atheists are angry because religion is given preference over science in ways where it shouldn't. Um, there is horrendous suffering that comes from all the sexual abuse that has happened in churches and other religious practices, the suffering inflicted on people because of their sexual orientation or other reasons um, who simply do not fit the standards advocated by religion. There is the sense of letdown, disappointment, possibly rage for believing something that has lost its meaning, all the perceived hypocrisy, and a sense that non-religious people question the intelligent intelligence of religious folks, which is also not exactly a nice thing to do. So this pain is a reaction to loss, um, loss of faith, lots of other kinds of losses are encapsulated here. The pain is normal, but it can make it hard to be open and patient enough to consider ideas which could be beneficial for us in the long run. Like with most things, trying to suppress them at all costs is not helpful. Equally unhelpful is getting together with like-minded people and trash-talking religion or atheism all day long. You already have valid reasons why you don't believe and that's fine, or why you do believe and that's fine. There's no need to justify that more and more. Um, getting more articulate at explaining why things don't make sense, unfortunately, leaves us with very little time to explore ideas, concepts, and impulses which could be generative for you and create a positive change in your life. Your personal growth is unlikely to come from ideas that you know inside out already. So that's why I would like to urge you to explore things which you're maybe not that familiar with. So what is a spiritual life? The most common definition in psychology revolves around the idea of sacredness. So something like finding and engaging with what's sacred. That definition doesn't do much for me personally, so here are a few of my thoughts. Um, maybe you recognize yourself in those as well. Spirituality is great for balance uh, as a balancing force in daily life. We have biological priorities. We have demands from work, financial needs, and administrative tasks. We have family demands. Now, I don't know why that this is the case, but there seems to be something about humans that craves alternatives to those more common things. And people differ in how strong this desire is, but for some reason, we seem to crave to engage with the seeking and the expression of deep truth, to engage with beauty, to engage with mystery, and to create something that realizes our inner potential. Now, scientists, science can actually contribute a great deal to these things. Um, it can untangle mysteries and explain them at least partially. People think that these explanations are cold, but I disagree. I am an agnostic, which means I don't know what is true, and I'm fine with very different scenarios. I'm fine with uh, some creator, but I see equal beauty with the scientific explanation that we are all atoms and are all made of the same stuff and that we evolved over millions of years. Because I don't think humans are better, it gives me a sense of connection to imagine that even the weirdest little monkey is related to me or that I share genes with a spider. There is so much connection in that, if you think about it for a quiet moment. Science can find ways to express and evaluate truth. Now, I don't know 
about you, but I'm glad that I don't think that every time there's a thunderstorm, God is angry at me. When it comes to guilt and fear, I'm grateful to science for overturning ideas that were held for hundreds or thousands of years. Similarly, the human biology class I took at the Open University didn't make me less of a believer in the miracle of life. Understanding how lungs and, of course, the brain works just gave me this profound sense of wonder and respect that I couldn't fathom when I was oblivious to how it all worked. Science can tell us about a lot of things surrounding beauty. Thanks to science, I know where to turn, so I'm most likely to find a rainbow. Turn your back to the sun, just because I have an admittingly vague understanding of how a rainbow is formed doesn't mean that I cannot appreciate it with all my heart. It can give us helpful ideas about creating all different kinds of things. So people always talk about going to the moon when they talk about the miracles of science. But I'm actually, to be honest, still amazed about, about phones, about the existence of phones. How weird is it that someone who's a completely different place can just kind of dial into your life at any given moment? Science has not only explained but created miracles, and why on earth should those not be spiritually significant? An airplane, for example. If the way science engages with these things is enough for you, you may not need to delve into spirituality. Science is full of miracles, and if you let the supposedly dry facts touch your heart, they can instill a great sense of awe. If, however, science is not enough for you, well, then let's continue exploring. Spirituality is about connecting to something that's bigger and different from me. So how do we go about meeting these needs concerned with truth, beauty, mystery, creation? To really understand it, I think it makes sense to consider how those specialized in meeting those needs for thousands of years have done it. The philosopher Alain de Botton talks about this in a book called Religion for Atheists, which I highly recommend. We humans seem to crave some of the following things. Structure, emotionally distinctive states that differ from everyday emotions. Coming together as a community beyond just doing our daily chores or regular conversation. Connection with mystery, nature, beauty, truth, and creation. The reason we look at these needs is that we structure our own spiritual journey in a way that fits with those cravings so we are more likely to find what we're looking for. Structure provides us with different things, a sense of identity, for example, so that in itself offers guidance on how to think, feel, and act, guidance on practical matters, on how to eat, dress, spend money, treat animals, or conduct ourselves in relationship to others. Um, for example, a Christian is the kind of person who does and then dot dot dot, or a Jew is the kind of person who does this and this, right? Now, I'm open to being corrected, but to me, the label atheist doesn't seem to kind of cover that much ground when it comes to this, simply because they refuse and they want to say, like, hey, I'm thinking for myself, and that's fine. But humans need structure, we differ in how much structure we need. And for people who crave a lot of structure, it can be a bit problematic if it's like, well, everything is up to you all the time. Then there's this idea of sacred texts. That's also how we can provide structure in our lives. Stories which are easy to remember that serve different functions, such as introducing rules and morals, provide role models, shows that people are not alone in suffering, 
explanations as to why we are here and what happens afterwards. Then there's daily or weekly practice, which also helps us structure our days and our time. The idea of practice is central to a lot of religions. And whoever came up with practices understood that the draw of daily life is so strong that we constantly need to be reminded of our own values. And last but not least, there are holy days designed to remind us of certain events and connect us to our ancestors, the world itself, and creation as a whole. So when it comes to practices, it's one thing to identify as something and a very different thing to live religion or spirituality. Practices deepen not just our understanding, but help keep our thoughts, feelings, and actions in line with what is important to us. Now, you can think that all religions are based on fairy tales, but still appreciate that practices are viable ways to train our mind to make certain behaviors more likely and evoke certain emotional experiences. So I'll talk about practices because it's my belief that they offer viable ways to engage deeply with our own spirituality. Let's start with prayer. The kind of prayer that is most famous outside of religious circles is focused on requesting things from God. But actually there are many hints in different tradition that prayer does something positive to the person who prays even if no supernatural force is involved. So the Quakers, for example, believe that prayer is actually the time you take to listen to your God. And if you think there is no God, it's still a good thing to just sit down and listen because you end up listening to yourself and things can bubble up which might otherwise not have the time or the attention uh, to come up for you. In Christianity, there is this line that your prayers are already answered. So this reminds me of the psychological concept of priming. If I tell you right now to look out for everything that is the color gold, you will suddenly see tons of things in your daily life that you never paid attention to before. Similarly, the act of prayer primes us to pay attention to even tiny connections related um, to our theme of prayer. In Judaism, and I believe in Islam as well, there is this notion that a number of people praying together are more powerful than a single prayer. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm in the presence of a number of people who are all open and silent, I feel a change of energy that feels really good. Now, I can't explain it. I don't have uh, the science for it. The only thing I can explain is maybe this idea of emotional contagion. So we do, it's been shown that we do influence ourselves emotionally. So if people around us all calm down, then the chances are that we calm down as well. So maybe that's the magic of that. Maybe there's something to it. So if you think that this is strange, it's a bit like, if you think about it, you probably have experienced that people, you get into a room and everybody seems tense. So if everybody can be tense or angry or you just think something is off, something can also be right. And that is often what happens when you go and collectively pray or um, just share some silence with each other. Another practice is to connect to the present moment. Now, meditation and mindfulness practices are obviously huge, but they are more widely known. And I also have two episodes on them, so I'm not getting into this right now. Then there's sacred reading. We covered that in the episode about Harry Potter with Vanessa Zoltan. So 
This teaches us to look behind the superficial meaning and delve deeper. It shows us that depending on where we are in life, we interpret the same passage in very different ways. Then there's this idea of going to churches or synagogues or temples. Um, architecture is often designed to make us feel small. Now, you could think it's a bad thing, but for me, for example, it gives me a sense of perspective similar to the perspective I get when I look at stars that are just so immeasurably huge, but they are tiny because they're so far away. Another practice is commemoration, putting effort into setting something apart from normal daily life in order to remind ourselves of important events, people, and truths. Identification, I mentioned that before, symbols, dress, food, different smells and tastes can each evoke different feelings and thoughts. So that's all a nice way to experience spirituality in a less, you know, brainy way. Then there's the sense of wonder. Cultivating a sense of wonder by challenging how we look at the world. Follow around pretty much any toddler and you see how amazed they are about everything. And by hanging out with them, we can let them rub their amazement off on us. Understand under which circumstances you have felt a sense of awe in the past. For example, I actively avoid pictures of places I'm going to travel to because I don't want to be there and then be disappointed doesn't, that it doesn't look like it looked on Instagram or something. I cultivate surprise by blocking certain information, and I do this very deliberately. That's just one of the things you can do to make the experience of wonder more likely. Now, a little bracket here. Like happiness, wonder is also something you can't just aim for directly. It's a side effect. But what we can do is that we can kind of be aware of the environment and get used to manipulating our environment in a way that the reception of wonder is easier for us. Understand where you feel a sense of wonder. I am sure you have gathered that I like flunnering around the place, looking at trees and enjoying the sound of water. Where are you most likely to encounter things that touch you? Community. Our friends, family, and co-workers might have very different spiritual priorities, and that is fine. Finding like-minded people can help us to not just forget our values. It can also create a sense of shared purpose if, for example, the community engages together on deepening their understanding and their practices. A good example of a thriving secular community is what Casper and Vanessa have created over at the Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Their readers do sacred readings, send in their interpretations, share stories of how they use the concept, and ask questions. And all of these things are actually pretty similar to engaging with religion, um, but they lack the parts that drive people away from the religion itself and leave them with what is enriching. So what can you pursue or do if you do not believe in God but want similar experiences? I would, I would ask you to cultivate the mindset of a seeker. We don't need to adopt religious practices to learn about spirituality. But what we can do is look at everything and ask ourselves the following questions. What can I learn from this? In which situations is this helpful? And how is this true? Notice we're not asking, is this true? Because yes or no questions don't usually bring us as deep as we can go. 
because we just we just go back to reflexive answers no this is crap yes this is true by asking how is this true we start to actually think for example if we hear here you cannot love someone if you don't love yourself first we're often instinctually going to agree or disagree with it once we have our brain is like all right we figured this out next however if we ask how is this true that we can't uh, love others if we don't love ourselves, we have to think about the issue more deeply. What does love mean in this context? Some people use making love as a polite way to talk about sex. Can I have sex without loving myself? Yeah, that's perfectly possible. Is love a feeling? If I love, if love is the attraction, the butterflies, and the desire to be near that person, my guess is that all of that is possible without self-love as well. But love is a skill, something we express through lots of acts, how we speak, how we respect someone, how we always consider the impact on their well-being. Then again, it's interesting. If we don't love ourselves because we don't know how to respect people in general, the statement is true. But if we can respect others but find that we are fundamentally unworthy of respect, we could still theoretically use the skills of respect when we interact with our partner. Now, if that sounds complicated, that's because it is. And the point of thinking about these things is that when you understand what love is to you, you have, such, you have a much better shot at actually getting it. This kind of questioning is a way of engaging with the search for meaning and sometimes the search itself gives people a sense of meaning and adventure in life. Even if you don't feel that way, these kind of questions help you grow and refine how you think and feel about things. When you have explored a question to a level where you feel saturated for the moment, you actually understand better what worthy goals are. When I was 15, I used to read one of those teen magazines and thought love was about proving your love all the time and big romantic gestures. And let's just say that evolving from that view has helped Keep, out a lot, keep me out of a lot of trouble and let me focus on other more important things. Vulnerability. I think it's easy to let the world kill off our innocence. There are lots of invitations to become cynical. There are lots of reasons to build walls. And dulling our pain in alcohol or TV or other ways is actually socially celebrated, which is kind of sad to me. And while I would never claim that none of these things have happened to me, I found that protecting a certain trust in the goodness of people is a good thing. Refusing to let suffering close the heart is one of the hardest things because it goes against our survival instincts. Sounds like a cliche, but I found that the question, do you want to choose love or fear now, is actually a really helpful guiding star to me at least. Accepting the pain and not always running away from it has paid off in softness. This is the kind of softness that gets a lot of joy from hearing birds sing and the wind rustling through the leaves. It makes self-compassion and compassion for others so much easier if you have that softness. And you're finally attuned to your feelings, which makes things just easier. Sometimes it's harder, maybe. Sometimes I understand what people are like, I wish I could just, you know, block things out. But overall, the moment we start blocking stuff out, the good stuff is blocked out. There's a sense of profound gratitude. When I was writing this, I was hanging out with my writer's group and my friends were talking about their tattoos and getting piercings and I was cringing the whole time. And then I realized something strange. 
I live in the only time in history and I, in the one of the few places in the world where you can actually choose to be a wimp. Modern medicine or other creature comforts mean that I have a choice that before me people really didn't have. I mean, I'm cringing when people talk about piercings. You can imagine how big of a fan I am of physical pain. But in the past, that would have been like, too bad, you've got rotten teeth, and they're just slowly decomposing in your mouth. Deal with it. So there is a lot to be grateful for. We can also live a spiritual life by experiential engagement. So that includes rituals, for example. Copy or adopt rituals that speak to you. For example, I think that Shabbat, the Shabbos, as it's called in Judaism, it's been adopted by the secular community. Um, and they have created something where it's like, well, you're not necessarily praying to God, but you're doing all the other things simply because they're good for us and they foster community and they include principles such as connect with loved ones, go outside, avoid commerce, or drink wine. Pilgrimage. Um, in the old days, pilgrimage was a way to clean yourself of your sins, to get help from some holy person or ar artifact, or simply quest for spiritual significance. Today, the experience of walking for an extended time has been popularized once again all over the world by writers like, for example, Cheryl Strayed, who wrote Wild. Wearing specific clothes for specific occasions. Different religions have rules surrounding clothes. Um, these can help if as physical reminders that certain behaviors are not in line with our values or that certain behaviors are. And they can also act as a Pavlovian stim stimulus, so to speak, to help ourselves move into a different emotional state. So some secular folks swear that when they wear white, they feel lighter for some reason, right? Now, if we wear white all the time, I'm not sure if that would hold, um, if that effect would still be there. But if people who feel that way choose to wear white on certain specific occasions, they can use that feeling of lightness to strengthen whatever it is that they're spiritually trying to do. You can also make up your own rituals. Make the birthday of a role model a special occasion. Include tiny rituals in your life. I like how uh, the writer Gretchen Rubin, for example, always makes a point of bringing herself to the present and appreciating her family before she opens the door to her home. There's the gratitude jar, uh, fill in a jar with notes or pictures where you detail a specific incident and who you feel grateful towards, and then you can just open it together on special days. You can create stuff, arty things. You can put your energy into creating a community, uh, into fostering social causes. All of these things um, help you to lead a more rewarding spiritual life. Okay, I'm going to end it here, not because there's not more to say. There's tons and tons and tons more to say. Um, but I think there's only so much that we can take in at any given moment. And I will probably return at some point with some spirituality stuff, simply because it's very important to me. So I wanted to let you know that we have a cozy community over at Facebook. Just search The Positive Psychology Podcast. And please only click to join if you see the podcast logo, because somebody else has snatched up positive psychology podcast all right remember to be the reason other people believe in the good of this world cheers bye-bye thanks for listening to the positive psychology podcast we're saying goodbye with happy yogurt <laughs>